Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 so how many of you have a goody two-shoes sibling that no matter how hard you try you're never going to be as good as them can i get a name in there anybody relate you got that brother or sister that, man, they're just like the cream of the crop. They're an overachiever. The, the youth group up there, they're, they're the tryhard of the family. You know what I'm talking about? All right, that, that's some lingo. That's some uh, Fortnite lingo for you who aren't hip to the scene, right? So, so listen, they, they, we all have those, those people that we look at and we just think, there's no way I can ever be as good as that person. But put yourself in the shoes of the of of James, who were reading his epistle that he's writing, put yourself in his shoes just for a moment. The half-brother of Jesus, the only reason why he's the half-brother is because it's, you know, they they share the same mother, right? The half-brother of Jesus. Imagine having to grow up in the shadow of Jesus. Now, James tried. His nickname was actually James the Just or James the Righteous One. The, The historians tell us that he was a Nazarite from the time he was born. That means that he never drank wine or any, any drink from the vine. He never shaved his head. He never shaved his face. He never ate meat, and he rarely bathed in order to remain a holy. Okay, now think about that just for a moment. This guy is trying to do whatever he can to live up to the standard that Jesus is setting, but there's no possible way that he's going to be able to do that. Jesus is perfect, and James, as hard as he might try, will never be perfect. But he tried. That, historians actually tell us that his knees were callous from so much prayer. They called him camel knees. He had knees that looked like camels because he kneeled in prayer so often. And imagine watching your older brother go throughout the countrysides and you're, you're praying and you're keeping the ceremonial washings and you're memorizing the scriptures and you're going through all of the feasts and you're dotting all the I's and you're crossing all the T's and Jesus is going across the countrysides healing people, setting people free. The blind can see, the mute can speak, the lame can leap, the deaf can hear, the dead are being raised, and he knows no matter what he does, he's never going to be Jesus. The scripture actually tells us that even though he probably had a front row seat for, well, he did for most of Jesus' life, he didn't actually believe that Jesus was the Christ. He didn't actually believe that Jesus was the Messiah. I don't know how he explained away all of the miracles. I don't know how he explained away all of the healings. I don't know how he could explain the authority with which Jesus preached, but he did because he says, you know what? If Jesus is the Christ, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to be as good as him. And James had to try. 
Like somewhere deep down in all of us, there's a little piece of that going on. Every single one of us want to be the center of the story. Every single one of us wants to be the main character in the play. You gotta stop trying because that role belongs to Jesus. So fast forward through James's life and after the resurrection, after Jesus is raised from the dead, the scripture actually doesn't say that James was at the crucifixion, but James knows that Jesus has been raised. He's seen him in the flesh. He heard the rumors first and then he's seen it with his own eyes. He's seen the, the nail-pierced hands and the pierced side. He's seen Jesus in his resurrected flesh and there's no doubting when resurrection takes place. There's no refuting when resurrection takes place. And here's a beautiful truth that each one of you can take with you today, is that you too have the opportunity to live a resurrected life. The scripture says that though we were once dead in our trespasses and our sins, he has made us alive together with Christ. This is Ephesians chapter two. We were dead, but he has made us alive together with Christ. The resurrection changes people's views. When they witness a resurrected life, they have no option but to believe. Just like James, how can he doubt when he sees the resurrection? So he becomes a believer, and he becomes a powerful leader in the early church. The scripture says that in the book of Acts, you can read about how James, the half-brother of Jesus, was exalted to the place of basically being the leader of the church in Jerusalem. The religious leaders knew that he was influential, the scribes and the Pharisees, they didn't like what was happening to their culture. They didn't like that their teachings were coming in opposition to. And so they pull James aside. Again, this is a man who kept the law. This is a man who did all the right washings. This is a man who participated in all of the right feasts. And they pull James aside and they say to James, listen, James, we know you have influence in this community, in this sect. We need to squash this rumor. We need to squash this teaching of Jesus being the Christ. So we're going to give you a stage from which to preach. And they take James to the pinnacle of the temple and they gather all who will listen. And in this moment, James has a choice to make. He's either going to be honest with what he knows in his heart that Jesus, his half-brother, is the Christ or he's gonna cower in the face of persecution and opposition and he's gonna lie to save his life. So he stands there at the pinnacle of the temple and it, in true form to James, he takes the opportunity and he preaches that Christ is the Messiah and that he has been raised and that he is coming back again. And so the religious leaders climb to the top of the temple, to the pinnacle of the temple, and they push him off. They're making a statement. In that moment, what they're saying, I don't care who you are. I don't care who you're related to. I don't care how influential you are in the community. If you continue to preach this message, this is what will happen to you. So he falls to the ground, but he doesn't die. With what strength he can muster, he kneels there on the stone. And he begins to pray that God would forgive those people who pushed him from the pinnacle and in order to silence his voice once and for all, the religious leaders take up stones and there's a man in the crowd who has a club that was used to beat out the laundry. He takes up the club, smashes it across his skull and he's dead just like that. 
James, the man who's writing to us today, the one who's writing to us and going to talk to us about our trials, about our tribulations, about those times where we're going to have a choice to make. We're either going to be true to what we know in our heart is right or we're going to cower in fear. Open your Bibles, if you will, to James chapter 1. Beautiful text here. Some of my favorite text in all of Scripture. And in context, remember, we have to, to think of whom James is writing to. He's writing to those who were dispersed, those who've been scattered like seeds scattered across, across the countryside, those who, because of their faith in Christ, the religious leaders have come in and they've had to scour, they've had to scatter in every different direction in order to avoid religious persecution. He's writing to these people. He calls them his brothers. He says, listen, we're together in this. You're not alone in your trial. You're not alone in your heartache. We're going through this together. The apostle Paul would write that we need to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So this is what's happening here. He's saying, listen, my brothers. Verse two, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's writing to those who were scattered. He's writing to you and to me today. And so there are three main things I want you to gather from this text in these three short verses. You think, Father's Day, three short verses, this is great. I'm gonna be at lunch in no time, right? Wrong. First thing I want you to take note of here is the attitude that you need to have in the midst of your trials. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials. Count it all joy. When was the last time you can honestly say that you rejoiced in the midst of your trial? What is your first reaction whenever a trial comes your way? You get that pit in your stomach, you lose sleep, you're, you're stressed out, you're worried, it draws you away from God, doesn't propel you into his presence. Here James says, count it all joy. This is a man who is ministering to the saints in Jerusalem who are under intense persecution. They're in danger of losing their life. He's proof of it. And he says, in the midst of whatever trial you face, count it all joy. That's the attitude that you should have. Why can he say this? And th there's two reasons why he can say this. The first is because joy is not dependent upon our circumstances. Joy is not dependent upon our circumstances. In the Greek, the word is kara, the word joy. And it means a deep sense, a deeply rooted sense of well-being or of peace. You see, joy is not fickle like happiness. It is not some sort of emotion that you can come in and out of. Joy is deeply seeded and rooted and not dependent upon what's happening around you. It's not dependent upon your circumstances or your trial or your issues or your pain or your heartache. Joy is never stolen from you when it is real joy. He says, count it all joy, brothers, when you're met by various trials. The word count means to, to basically take into, to evaluate monetarily. It's see, find its worth. 
Find the trial to be worth it. Count that trial worth it. Count it joy in the midst of that trial. Take it as an opportunity to exhibit your great joy, to practice your great joy. In Matthew chapter 8, the disciples set sail in a boat, a little fishing vessel across the Sea of Galilee. And in the midst of their voyage across the Sea of Galilee from one bank to the, one shore to the other, a great tempest arises on the horizon and on the sea. And the winds pick the waves up, and it's just a small fishing vessel, just large enough for them to, to be within, the, the, the 12 disciples and Jesus. And so this boat is being tattered by the winds and by the waves, and the disciples are bailing water out, and they're stressed. And the scripture says that Jesus is asleep in the stern of the boat, resting at peace. And the disciples cry out to Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you care that we're going to die? Where are you, Jesus? Why aren't you participating? Why aren't you helping us in the midst of the storm? The winds are boisterous. The waves are heavy. We cannot maintain these seas much longer. Why are you not coming to our aid? The scripture says that Jesus arises from his sleep. Why are you doubting, he says. And then he stands and he addresses the winds and the waves and the sea stills and is silenced and is calmed. And it says that the disciples marveled and they said, who is this that can even command the wind and the waves and they obey him? That is the one who is with you in the midst of your trial. You see, your, your joy cannot be dependent upon your circumstances. If joy was dependent upon your storm, joy would not be lasting. But joy is not dependent upon the storm. Joy is dependent upon the Jesus that is with you in the vessel. You see, in that moment, their eyes were consumed with the waves and their, their mind was consumed with how heavy the winds were and they forgot that Jesus was in the boat with them. And as long as they were in the presence of Jesus, they had all that they needed. You see, our joy is not dependent upon our circumstances, but joy is dependent upon God's presence. In Exodus, the book of Exodus, you can read the story of the children of Israel being delivered from slavery and God raises up for a man, a deliverer by the name of Moses, who goes and demands that the people are set free from slavery in Egypt, demands from Pharaoh, set my people free, let my people go. The children just learned about this this last week in VBS. And through the course of, of 10 plagues, finally Pharaoh agrees after the plague of the firstborn, all right, you're, you're released, you're set free. They come up to the Red Sea and the Egyptian army is approaching. They're pursuing and their backup is against the wall. There's no hope, but God is with them. The sea parts, they go through on dry ground. The sea collapses on the Egyptian army and all of the Egyptian army is drowned in that moment. But Israel is delivered. Now here's where it gets interesting because on the other side of the Red Sea, they're met by trial after trial after trial. There's no water, but there's a pool of bitter water. And God says to Moses, throw your staff into the water. The water will be made sweet and they have pure drinking water. There's no food, so God gives manna from heaven Again, there's no water, so Moses strikes a rock and the rock bursts forth water. 
There's no shade, so God leads them with a cloud by his presence during the day. There's no light at night to be able to be led on this voyage, so there's a fire, a pillar of fire that leads them by night. God provides miraculously for the people. And then God calls to Moses and says, Moses, I need some time, just you and me, so I can deliver the law to you. And the scripture tells us he's there for 40 days and 40 nights. And while he's there, these same people who watched God work miraculously, sea parting, miraculous food on the ground every morning when they wake, water from a rock, water from a bitter well, all these same people that saw God work time after time after time again, they begin to doubt because Moses is gone for so long. And they say to Aaron, we don't know where he's gone. We don't know where he is. We need our own gods that we can worship. And so Aaron forms and fashions from their jewelry a golden calf. And while Moses is on the mountain, Aaron, his brother, has made this idol. And all of the people are worshiping the idol while Moses is on the mountain. Now here's where it gets interesting. Because from that mountain, God sees what the children of Israel are doing and the wickedness that they're involved in in worshiping this idol. And so God says to Moses, that's it, I've had it with these people. They're a wicked people, they're stiff-necked people, they're stubborn, I'm going to wipe them off the face of the earth and I'm gonna start over with you, Moses, and you alone. And Moses pleads with God and says, God, please don't do this. What will the Egyptians think when they hear that you delivered them from Egypt just to wipe them out in the wilderness? Show your grace once more. And so God says, all right, but I'm not going to lead you any longer. From now on, I'll send an angel to lead you. Now let me read to you what happens in Exodus 33 because the people understand the ramifications of this. They understand what's happening. Listen, the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, saying to your offspring I will give it and I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hevites and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff-necked people. They knew, the Israelites knew their only hope was God's presence, that presence that led them by a pillar of of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. That was their only hope in surviving in the wilderness. And now God says, things have changed. You're a wicked people. I'm no longer going to go with you. I'll send an angel, but you will no longer enjoy my presence. Look at how they respond in verse four. It says, when the people heard this disastrous word, they knew what this meant. No more manna, no more water, no more cloud, no more fire. What are we going to do? How can we survive without you? When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments for the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If if for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people stripped themselves of their ornaments. Now listen to what happens. Moses at this point, he hears this word. And the people are still camped there in the wilderness. And Moses goes out to his secret place, his quiet place. They called it the tent of meeting, a place where it was just he and the Lord who would meet. 
And every time he would go out to his tent that was outside the camp, the people of Israel would stand and they would watch him approach his tent. And when he entered the tent, the glory of God would descend and fill the tent and they knew that God was meeting with Moses in the tent of meeting. And so the people watch Moses go in and when Moses goes into the tent, this is what happens. It says, Moses says to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know with whom you will send me, or whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. If this is true, God, if I really have found favor in your sight, if you really do know me by name, listen to this. Moses says this, verse 13. He says, now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And, and God says to Moses, God replies to Moses, Exodus chapter 33, verse 14. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Okay, Moses, I, I hear you. Okay, Moses, you see the importance of my presence. Okay, Moses, you see that the people need my presence in order to lead them to the land of promise. I will go with you. Look at what Moses says, verse 15. He said to him, he said to him, Moses says to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. What is he saying? Moses is saying, your presence is more important to me than the promised land. Your presence to me is more important than a land flowing with milk and honey. Your presence to me is more important than the fruitful land and all of the fruit of the, the, the field that I can enjoy. I would rather stay here in the wilderness, in this tent where I know your presence is at because your presence is my portion. You are all that I need. And I can't imagine having to leave without your presence. I can imagine Moses reasoning, I would rather go back to Egypt. I would rather go back to slavery where if your presence is with me than to go into the land of promise without your presence. Your presence is my only hope. I have no hope without your presence. Joy is not dependent upon circumstance. Joy is dependent upon God's presence. The scripture says, in your presence is fullness of joy. The psalmist wrote, I would rather be a doorkeeper in your house than to dwell with the wicked in tents. I would rather be your servant. I would rather wash the feet of your guests than to dwell in the tents of the wicked because your presence is there in your house. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various kinds of trials. Count it all joy. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is not a feeling. Joy is a choice. Joy is saying, I'm not leaving this tent unless your spirit, your presence goes with me. That is joy. Joy is making the choice and saying, you know what? The bank account is empty, but I'm rejoicing in God because he provides. Joy is saying, the doctor called and it's not good news, but I know my God is a healer and he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or think, so I'm going to choose to rejoice because God is doing something here. 
Joy is a choice that says, even though my marriage isn't what it should be, God is able to bring it to where it needs to be. Joy is a choice that says, even though my child has walked away from God's goodness, I know that that child is never too far from God's reach and can't be brought back into his presence. Joy is immovable. Joy cannot be taken. Joy cannot be stolen because it's dependent not upon your circumstances and the winds and the waves. Joy is dependent upon who's with you in the boat, who's with you in the tent. God's presence is what determines joy. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977